Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JustBaseball, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Tuesday, April 11th on the Just Baseball Show. That's Jack McMullen and I'm Peter Apple. And on the back half of this episode, we are talking top five teams in college baseball as well as two surprising as we hit the mid-season point of the college baseball season. But we also like to talk some MLB stuff. So we're going to break down a couple of storylines that I'm looking at. And I have Jack just to bounce things off. It's a perfect Tuesday. How are you? I, I'm great. I am along for the ride today, okay. which is really fun because you're talking with Peter Flaherty. Uh, I guess like old friend, like Peter Flaherty, new title of Baseball America. I call him, here, he's a secret weapon. That's how I think we should refer to him. He's kind of like the, you know, the ace Yeah, in your hand. He's just so good at talking about college baseball. He's an encyclopedia of knowledge. And I love to just pick his brain on some things that he's seeing. Because, of course, like when I turn on the college baseball game, I'm watching for the stars. Like I'm watching LSU. I'm watching Florida. I'm watching all these teams like looking for that next great MLB player. That's why I love watching college baseball. But he has those like diamonds in the rough. The players who, you know, maybe not pop off the page, but can be third rounders, fourth, fifth, day two guys, all that kind of stuff that you have to watch out for that could end up being big pieces of a team one day, and we got to gush over Dylan Cruz, the number one overall pick who's hitting 525. Yes, Pirates fans are going to be very happy with uh, two cruise missiles, one C-R-U-Z, um, one C-R-E-W-S, but both cruise missiles. Uh, you also talk Langford and Caglione, which is great for Florida. This kid, Jack Caglione, like, I'm, I'm going to save the conversation for, for the Peters in the back half hour, but like, what a fucking freak show, man. College baseball, Shohei Otani. Striking on 11 per nine, leading the nation in home runs. He's a freakazoid. So if you remember, it, like if you were kind of in to college baseball in the mid-2010s, then you remember Brendan McKay, who was the third yeah. overall pick by Tampa. And McKay did look like a guy that could be a two-way talent at the major league level. But he, he abandoned hitting, and he's just been dealing with so many injuries. I think it's a nagging shoulder thing that yeah. has just kind of derailed his entire career. McKay's turning into a what-if story, which sucks, because I met him once. Really nice guy. Caglione is elevated McKay. Like, he's he's obviously below Shohei Otani, but he pumps out, like, 115 to 118 off the bat at ease, and then he's like one of the best strikeout artists in America out of a starting rotation. He sits like 96, 97. So he's not Shohei. I think he's probably better than McKay. So he's somewhere yeah. in between, but closer to McKay. Basically, 
if there was a pick for the next Shohei, it would be him right now. Now, it's not saying, you know, anything could happen. We saw it with Brendan McKay, just like you said, right. anything can happen. But if we look at the talent of a guy who can shut down an offense on the mound while leading the nation in home runs, he's not just like a good hitter and good pitcher. Yeah, the ERA might not look great, but the strikeout numbers are. The stuff is great. And he's leading the nation in home runs, leading it. That's the thing, man. So like Caglione, and we'll move off college ball here in a moment, but I think the most slept on thing about Otani, despite being really fast, which is he your is favorite fast. slept on Did thing. you know yeah. that? Did you know that? I, did. I was aware. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the most slept on thing about Otani is he is sneaky, a mammoth human being. He's mammoth. a huge dude. We were on the field of the World Baseball Classic, and that was my biggest takeaway was I was like, he's bigger than Pete Alonso? He's like, big, Like, man. way bigger? Yes. What? <laughs> yeah. He's a mammoth, yeah. huge guy. And Caglione, from what I've seen of Caglione, is a mammoth guy. Like, listen, throw your man card away for 30 seconds. Take a look at Jack Caglione in baseball pants. You're going to be sold on this guy being an all-star. It plays. It, it plays. plays. <laughs> it plays. <laughs> All right, the MLB portion of this podcast. I got a couple of pitchers who I wanted to reference. Um, but first, of course, we did get the news. O'Neill Cruz out 10 to 12 weeks with the fractured ankle. It really, really sucks, but it's better than I thought because the injury on the field, which incited a bench clearing, I don't even want to call it a brawl. It was more of uh hold me back, hold me back. That seems to be what most baseball fights are this day. And this was kind of the definition of it. Kopech was, you know, getting super heated. And I don't know if it was for good reason. I don't really care. It wasn't really a brawl. But the main takeaway from it is I thought there was a chance O'Neill Cruz would be out for the season. But 10 to 12 weeks, it sucks. But it is better than I thought it was going to be. It is much, much better than I thought it was going to be. Um, thankfully, it was an ankle thing and it wasn't an Achilles or anything like that. There was no tendon. It was a bone fracture, which you really, you know, you almost thank your lucky stars because the thing about O'Neill Cruz is he is so stupidly explosive. Um, like that's why he's so much fun to watch because the arm is explosive. The bat is explosive and the feet, like the legs. He is one of the fastest guys in baseball by sprint speed. So you're worried that, you know, ligament damage in his knee would take away some of that explosion coming from his lower half. Um, you can heal entirely from an ankle fracture in 12 weeks, which is good. So this isn't going to sacrifice any of O'Neill Cruz's athleticism, which I think was the best thing. Um, but yeah, man, like, Sounds like we'll get him on a rehab appearance in Indianapolis, which selfishly is going to be pretty cool uh, to see him again, even though I watched him for two months last year. But uh, yeah, that could have been much, much worse. I'm glad that it isn't. So I brought you a couple of pitchers that have been really, really impressing me because you and Aram, you broke down a lot of the big storylines of from the weekend in baseball. Yeah. Um, and you talked about the Rays. You know, I could talk forever about Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen, how good they have been. But again, you're facing the A's, you're facing these teams, but they're still major league baseball players and they're still dominating. But outside of the Rays, because believe it or not, there are other good, really good pitchers in the league. Yeah. One guy that is already just, you know, I... Uh, made him my Cy Young favorite in the American League, and he's been as good as advertised, not allowing a run yet. Like, Kevin Gosman is just on top of his game right now. 12 innings, 14 Ks. He has three walks, which is even above his standards because he doesn't walk anybody. He's that true horse that the Blue Jays need after watching, you know, Barrios get blown up for a second time. Bassett did look good in his second start from a box score perspective, but the stuff, it's just, he's got a curveball that doesn't, do anything for me he doesn't quite look like the same pitcher even though the box score looks good I think Blue Jays fans would agree with that Chris Bassett there is something there that you don't love Manoa came back through a seven inning shutout but again didn't the stuff wasn't what we're used to with Manoa but the one pitcher who every fifth day I know Blue Jays fans can rely on and the rest of baseball can just marvel at is Kevin Gosman I think he started the year off even I mean he hasn't allowed a run yet 
that's the bottom line. Has not allowed a run through 12 innings against yeah. good lineups. Yeah, I mean, like, we were streak-watching with Gosman to open the year last year because he went, what, like 29 innings without walking anybody? And so yeah. far, he's walked three in 12 innings. So now it's my turn to tell you why Kevin Gosman's a, f- a fraud and, like, bust. Rome has fallen. Yeah, Agreed. bust. 32-year-old bust. I'm with you. No, I mean, 14 Ks, three walks. He's faced 51 hitters. This guy has gone 12 innings in two starts. That's excellent from him. And you mentioned the most important number of them all, and that's that he has yet to allow an earned run, which is awesome. And that is what gets guys paid. Gosman is reliable. I think Manoa, as the years go on, is going to be considered reliable. But you and I are not Bassett guys. Like, Feels like T-ball sometimes. And his first start of the year was a mutilation of Chris Bassett. Barrios is like the biggest wild card ever. Because he looked kind of fine in Anaheim this weekend, which was interesting. But then not fine for like an inning. Then he got crushed again. And then, you know, he let a couple guys on. Then Adam Simber came in. Then Mike Trout took him 450. And then just things unraveled. And then they had to win a game 12-10. Like their offense is crazy. But the reason I wanted to bring up Kevin Gosman is... In the back of my mind, he's reliable when nobody else is in the back of my mind. I think to myself, all right, if Kevin Gosman is on the mound and that Blue Jays bullpen is rested and they're hitting like they are, they, I feel like they'll win every single one of those starts against anybody road home. Doesn't matter. Like Kevin Gosman on the mound with that offense. And if they have a rested bullpen feels to me like the best team in baseball, if that makes sense, for that day. Every fifth day when you have Kevin Gosman on the mound feels like an impossible game for the other team to win. Yeah, like right now, obviously it is because he's got a 0-0-0 ERA. But um, I totally see what you're saying. And I think that that lineup is, it's not must-see TV every night because like, hey, you know, watch some other exciting guys. But you know, you, you take Vladdy and Bo Bichette, and then you had Matt Chapman, who's off to like the best start of his career. And, and we were talking about him. They, like Springer looks great. Dalton freaking Varsho looks excellent, man. I'm all in on Dalton Varsho. That guy's a star. Um, but man, like I think this lineup and and any reliability you get from Gosman and hopefully Manoa moving forward will, will turn this team into a very scary team. What sucks the most about Toronto is like we just have to come to terms with the fact that Jose Barrios sucks now. Sucks. Which is crazy. He was an $130 million guy ahead of last year, and he sucks now. Former Blue Jay, another guy that I wanted to talk about, the Stroh Show, man. He's real good right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's allowed to run either. 0.00 ERA. He's got, he's got 12 innings pitch, 14 Ks. He's got six walks. Um, which of course you don't like to see, but the stuff looks so good. And I was looking back at, you know, kind of his stretch from September to October of last year with the Cubs. Dude was unbelievable. And he's just parlayed that into a really good start for the season. I think both of us were a little bit concerned with the Cubs starting pitching. Like we like Hayden Wesneski, Jameson Tyon is like, all right, six innings, three runs. Like we got to score four to win. You know, you go up and down the rotation, but if Stroman can be that guy, the Cubs are better than I thought they were because when he's on the mound, they they haven't lost. And he just keeps accumulating these great starts. And this dates back a couple of months into last season, too. He's the Stro Show, man. He's really doing it. Yeah. No, I mean, he is, he's good, man. And like, I think that's just an objective point now and, and love him or hate him all you want because of the off the field, you know, like his persona, like yeah. there's nothing he's done. That's like bad. You know what I mean? It's just, he's not a likable guy to some um, Stroman is a very good pitcher and he's a very good baseball player. And Marcus Stroman, I think is going to have, you know, an ERA in the low threes this year. I think that's the kind of guy that Stroman is. That's the kind of guy he's been his entire career thing that jumps out about Stroman you know, we talked about yesterday that Nick Lodolo is the perfect pitcher for Great American Ballpark. Marcus Stroman's kind of the perfect pitcher for Wrigley Field because we talk about wind blowing out at Wrigley, automatic over. Marcus Stroman in his start on Saturday against Texas at Wrigley, eight ground balls, no fly ball outs. 
I mean, he keeps the ball on the ground, man. Like you keep the ball on the ground and you've got Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner playing up the gut for you. That's a recipe for immense success. And, and that's what Stroman has done. Another guy who's seen his stuff tick up and another guy who keeps the ball on the ground is the new Minnesota twin. Pablo Lopez has looked unbelievably good, right? Last year, he was throwing around 93, 94. This season, he's 95 to 96. And that sweeper that he started to throw, he didn't really throw it last year. It was more of this like curveball, but now it's this 84 mile an hour sweeper that he started throwing a ton. He's actually thrown it 48 times all to right handed hitters. This is a really good pitch. And when he's throwing this hard and keeping the ball on the ground at a 47% rate and he doesn't allow runs, this could be the Twins ace this year. Yeah. I mean, they've all looked good. You know what I mean? Like, He's got competition. The only one that hasn't looked good is Mally. Like Pablo Lopez has looked great. You mentioned 12 and a third. He's he's got a 0.73. He's allowed one earned run in 12 and a third. Joe Ryan, 12 innings, six hits, punched out 16. Sonny Gray, 12 innings, seven hits, one earned. Kenta Maeda was great in his first start. Five innings of one run ball. So Mally is the runt of the litter right now, which is crazy because Mally at his best is a three. All these guys at their best are threes, except maybe Pablo and, and Joe Ryan, I'd say. Sonny was a two. I think his best now is a three. I think Joe Ryan's best is a two. And I think Pablo's best is like a top flight two. Like we talk about him in the same light that you know, Fromber's a better pitcher. But I think we talk about him in the same light as Fromber, where, where Fromber can be a one and he is the one now. Uh, but he was the best two in baseball last year. And that's Pablo Lopez at his very best. Another guy who, when I watch, I think he's a one. <laughs> it's just he's struggled to stay healthy. Dustin May is a freak of nature for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I love what he's been doing. And I was listening to the Dodgers broadcast, and it's an adjustment that he made. And, you know, this guy could just make adjustments because he throws 100. But, you know, he was very sinker slider. And he was kind of nibbling around the zone. And I think the Dodgers said, what the fuck are you doing? Yep. You throw in a hundred mile an hour fastball, throw it down the middle, dare these people to hit it. And nobody can hit it because it's a hundred and his long levers, the extension he gets on it. I can hear it through the television <laughs> bust into Austin Barnes or Will Smith's glove. This guy is such a freak. And, you know, the Dodgers, they have Kershaw, they have Arias, you know, they have these starting pitchers, but if Dustin May can stay healthy, I think he's the most talented of the bunch, even more talented than a guy like Julio Arias. Like Arias is a better pitcher because he stays healthy and he tallies up 175 to 185 innings like he has over the past two seasons. So he's you can rely on him much more. But if one start, everyone's fully healthy, I think Dodger fans would say, give me Dustin May. And I would say give me Dustin May over a lot of pitchers in Major League Baseball right now. He has the same effect of glass now that if they just stay healthy, they look impossible to hit. They're both in this 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, range, crazy long arms with unbelievable stuff. Right now, Dustin May is sitting with a 0.69 ERA. It's funny that he doesn't strike out guys like you'd think, but it's he's a soft contact guy. Like You make contact with the baseball and although it's coming in at a hundred, it doesn't go out a hundred. It goes out like 88. He's just so damn good and fun to watch. Yeah. So Dustin may is sitting 97 with a sinker right now. Like, come on. Right. Come on. Um, may. If you look at starters that are sitting harder than Dustin may is at this point with a sinker, uh, you're looking at Sandy. Uh, and that's it. Jordan Hicks is like a multi-inning reliever. He's thrown a, a bit, but the only two guys that have like thrown more sinkers that sit at a higher speed as starting pitchers or like multi-inning relievers are, are Hicks and Sandy Alcantara. And that is excellent, excellent company to be in. I'm with you on May being, you know, like his best, maybe better than Julio's best. Um, the way that I view it, if you were to stack those four in 2023, the year of our Lord, um, Walker Bueller is like one of the very few guys that I will take. Like if I get a hundred percent of Walker Bueller, I'm taking a hundred percent of him over Dustin May. Me too. So if, if you gave me the a hundredth percentile outcome start for all these guys, I mean, shit, dude, it's like perfect game for all of them, but 
I go Walker Bueller, Dustin May, Julio Arias, Clayton Kershaw in 2023. Clayton Kershaw. It's crazy, right? Yes. The best pitcher of our generation. Who's still like, he's still like, he's like 38. If you gave me 2011 Kershaw, like I'm putting Kershaw one and like there's a huge gap, but it's 2023 Clayton Kershaw that we're talking about. Exactly. And the last pitcher I wanted to talk about is a guy who I was really impressed with on Sunday Night Baseball. And I was on the Braves money line, probably the worst bet of the season so far, considering they lost 10 to 2 and the Padres jumped all over Dylan Dodd. But Dylan Dodd's not someone I want to talk about right now. I want to talk about this man, Seth Lugo. And he's a guy who, you know, when we were talking about the Padres rotation at the beginning of the year, we were really nervous, right? Because Michael Walker, Seth Lugo, Nick Martinez, like, what are they going to get from the bottom? We assumed that Musgrove, who hasn't made a pitch yet this season, you Darvish, Blake Snell, they'd be great. But what are we going to get from the bottom? Well, Michael Walker threw six shutout with 10 Ks, one of the most surprising starts of the year. And then Seth Lugo goes on Sunday Night Baseball on the road against this Braves juggernaut of a lineup who normally hit him when he was a reliever for the Mets and flash this incredible high spin curveball that he's always had, but the way that he can place it wherever he wants, and he pairs it with this 91-mile-an-hour like sinker-ish, two-seamer fastball thing, he gets outs, man. He looks good. Do I know if it's going to continue for the entire year? No. But right now, he's a guy who I have full faith in can give me five or six innings of very solid baseball. And that's a sentence that, that I had no confidence in saying even a few weeks ago, but he did it twice. And now I'm thinking, all right, like that curveball plays, you know, he's got the command and it's just, he gets outs, man. There are two starting pitchers that are consistently snapping off 3,400 RPM curveballs, which is just an insane number. And like, I know spin efficiency, like 100% is, you know, maximum spin, all that shit. Um, I like, I want a physics person to tell me, like, you know, the time in which it takes Seth Lugo's curveball to get from his fingertips to the glove. What is the like possible RPM? Because I feel like he's flirting with the impossible here. But the only two starting pitchers that are consistently snapping off 3,300, 3,400 RPM curveballs are the last two guys that you've talked about, Seth Lugo and Dustin May. One more point for Dustin May being an absolute alien life form. But Lugo has had this, man, and like we saw it clipped in three-run games in the seventh inning last year for the Mets. And you were thinking, okay, he does that there. It's a day game. Nobody's there, whatever. What's he going to do in starts for a team that wants to win the World Series and has Machado, Tatis, Soto, Bogarts, Musgrove, Snell, um, Darvish? Like he kind of looks like a four or a five right now, which which is crazy. And and if they get a true four from Seth Lugo this year, I might have to push all my chips in on San Diego. Might have to too. They look really good, and they don't even have Tatis yet. And Bob Melvin, the Grisham, lefty on lefty nuke job on Sunday Night Baseball. And on Sunday Night Baseball, manager Bob Melvin said that he thinks that Fernando Tatis Jr. will lead off for this team. And Bogarts has already done an amazing job. But then you put him in the two-hole. You got Soto. You got Machado. I mean, this is just such an entertaining team to watch. But now let's talk about some college baseball with Peter Flaherty. We got the full back half of this episode. That was five pitchers that I really like to watch. And I know Jack does too. And we'll be back with more MLB baseball on Wednesday, but today it's Tuesday. It's college baseball. Let's talk to Pete Flaherty. We're at the mid-season point of the college baseball season, and I welcome on the GOAT, Peter G. Flaherty. You can find a lot of his work at Baseball America, and he's our secret weapon over here in the college baseball space at Just Baseball. Pete, how you doing, my man? What's up, Pete? I'm always happy to hop on and, uh, and chop it up and talk some college baseball with you. Some of my favorite times of the year is when you and I get on the mic and we just talk college baseball. So in this section of the Just Baseball Show, we are going to talk about Pete's two big surprise teams at the midpoint of the college baseball season, as well as going over his top five teams. And scattered throughout, there will be a lot of big name players who I'm sure Pete wants to talk about. I've been enjoying this college baseball season. We have a future on Wake Forest, and that's going pretty well right now as they are living up to their name, Rake Forest, as well as pitchers like Rhett Lauder and Sean Sullivan has really stepped up. 
as the Saturday guy. But of course, there's LSU. We're going to get into the top five. But first, Pete, your first surprise team, right? Because we talked at the beginning of the season. We went through our top 10 teams. And could it be your favorite team, the Boston College Eagles? So I've grown up. I grew up a BC fan. Season tickets to football. I've actually got a BC football shirt on right now. Um, And yeah, I, I think it's hard to not have my top surprise be the old Eagles from Chestnut Hill. Granted, they're, they're coming off a sweep against Louisville, but they're still sitting at number 16 in the top 25. They didn't make the ACC tournament last year. They didn't make the ACC tournament the year before that. And they're not a super prospecty team. This isn't the 2021 team that had Cody Morissette, Sal Fralick, Mason Pelio, guys like that. It's just really timely hitting. Their pitchers attack the strike zone and throw quality strikes. And it's a pretty simple formula, but they're proving that if you just play sound baseball on either side of the ball, that you're going to have a pretty substantial amount of success. Um, And they just got swept at Louisville. Louisville's a really good team. They haven't lost a home series since 2021. Jeez. Yeah, they're they're really good at Jim Patterson Stadium, but they could bounce back this week. So – they're on track to make their first regional, I think, since 2016. Um, and at this point, they would kind of have to play themselves out of it. So my first surprise is absolutely BC. Probably my number one surprise, too. So Ryan Miller, of course, we both know and is writing up prospect stuff, does a lot of college baseball stuff, is in charge of our mock drafts over here at Just Baseball. He gave me his top 10 because, you know, we're all collabing with each other and trying to make the perfect top 10 teams. And he had BC at number eight. And they didn't make your top 10 team. Um, maybe he's just a little higher on some guys. Maybe he sees the potential. And maybe you're, you know, they're your favorite team. So you're maybe being a bit conservative with them. But do you think they have a real shot at Omaha? Because you say that they're not a very prospecty team. They have Joe Vitrano, who just will not stop hitting. I'm curious if you think they should be in that top 10. Or if you're thinking, whoa, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes a they're a great team. I think this this past weekend at Louisville, the sweep was tough. They're kind of sitting around 500 in the ACC again. But I mean, if you get into uh, if you get into a regional, that's all you really need for Omaha. And they've they've got the ingredients to to go on a deep run. Um, Joe Vitrano is a great player, like you mentioned. Travis Honeyman is as well. Um, as is Cam Leary. That's kind of their three headed monster on offense. Um, but Pitching-wise, they've got a bona fide ace in Chris Flynn. He's a great story. He was actually a walk-on at Division Three Roger Williams, and he made the team. Roger Williams was very successful there. Entered his name into the portal, found his way to BC, and he's he's emerged as obviously their ace on the staff, but but one of the top pitchers in the conference. So really cool story there. I think that they they can certainly get in. Um, they were 27 outs from Omaha the last time they made a regional in 2016. They took Miami to a game three. Um, and I know that if they get in, they're going to play really hard. And if they get a favorable draw, which I think for them doesn't include a team like a very offensive team, I don't know if they'd want to get into a shootout with anyone. I think that they're more suited for kind of a pitcher's duel. So if they, if they can get into a, to a regional and have their super regional team be kind of a, a manageable matchup for them. I think they've got that type of upside. Number two surprise team. So we had to talk about your Eagles, but who's that other team that you just didn't see coming? The other team I didn't really see coming and, and took me by surprise was Kentucky and Kentucky. They're no stranger to strong starts. They started off 14 and four last year. I think 19 and three or something of that nature the year before. Um, I may have had those flipped, but they've gotten off to really strong starts in the last two of two seasons. Um, but the wheels have kind of fallen off once SEC play rolled around. Um, but this year they are showing that they're for real. They're 27 and five. Um, they're 18 and one at home, nine and three in the SEC. They did have a little bit of a hiccup at Georgia this week, but that's not really of any concern. They're still very clearly a regional team and in and, and really good position to host. Um, and the highlight for them has been their pitching. They've got just a three, two ERA as a staff. 
Um, their rotation has been really, really strong with Logan Martin and Zach Lee. And they've gotten jumps out of guys like Ryan Hagenau. Hagenau was a pretty highly touted prospect once he arrived on campus. Um, kind of struggled in a hybrid role his first couple of seasons, but moving to the back end of the bullpen where he's really blossomed, he hasn't allowed an earned run in 16 innings. So Kentucky's my other surprise. I think that they are probably they probably have more Omaha upside than a team like Boston College does, just from a sheer depth perspective. Um, they have a lot deeper of a staff. Um, they can swing it a little bit more, and that's not a knock against Boston College. It's just I think Kentucky really is that good, and they they're gonna have they've got a quick turnaround this week. Um, they're gonna have to to really turn around because they go to Louisville and then they go to Alex Box Stadium to take on LSU this weekend. Which LSU's LSU. I don't. I think everyone knows what they're about at this point. So. Um, they're kind of going through their SEC gauntlet right now, but I think that it would, barring something really unforeseen, they're going to head to a regional and they're going to be a really tough out. So I'm excited about the Wildcats, really excited about BC. And I think those are my two, um, top surprises this year. Yeah. Overall, the college baseball season, um, you know, we put out our five futures and all that kind of good stuff and it's gone according to plan. Right. So our five futures, they're all in basically every top 10 that you'll find on any publication. But there have been a couple of teams that have really come out of nowhere. Kentucky is one of them. And as we break into our top five, number four on our list is a huge surprise. You know, it's not something that, you know, we would never expect, but at four, it's nuts. But before we get to the number four team, let's get into your top five teams in college baseball right now. And we'll start with a team that's always in the top five. But I think you and I were a little bit down on them because they didn't have quite the talent that they've had in previous years. But I think this just speaks to their coaching that year in and year out, they do have a good roster. Of course they do. They have a great roster. But it's just when we're comparing it to other Vandy teams, it's not quite to that level. But you look at this Vandy team, we have them at number nine. It's just a typical team. Super well-rounded bunch. They got pitchers. They got hitters. They play defense, and they just win ball games. What what has been, I guess, the main takeaway from Vanderbilt this season? I think I've been most surprised with their offense. I came into this year knowing that they were going to throw the ball really well. Their staff is really good with Carter Holton and Bryce Cunningham up at the top, and then obviously Devin Futrell has been outstanding. Um but I've been pretty blown away with the production they've gotten on the offensive side. Grad transfer RJ Shrek in particular has really been of of has really been been helpful for him. He's sitting around 350, 11 doubles and eight home runs. Um, and then true freshman Chris Maldonado, he's a great player. I wasn't expecting to be sitting here after Easter Sunday saying that he's Vanderbilt's best freshman. Um, but he's Vanderbilt's best freshman. He's saying 370, 11 doubles and four home runs. And then they, they've really flipped the switch. Like if you look at their stats on offense right now, I, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I don't think that they're going to be like, you're going to be like really the Vandy offense because they're not unbelievably loud, but through the first, up until their series with Ole Miss, people were talking about the Vanderbilt offense as like their Achilles heel, their main issue are they going to be able to hit enough against teams in the SEC? I don't think they're going to be able to hit enough, all that. But since that Ole Miss series, they've really flipped a switch and have gone berserk. They've gotten production up and down the lineup. Um, it's clear they're playing with a huge chip on their shoulder and combine that with their good pitching. In their 26-6 and six overall, 11-1 and one in the SEC, I'd, I'm kind of hard-pressed to find a better resume um, in the entire country. So one of my favorite players in college baseball to watch is Enrique Bradfield Jr. And he's had a good year, right? But I don't think he's had the year that even I expected. Maybe you expected this type of year from Enrique Bradfield Jr. He's slashing 291, 456, 462. He's getting on base a ton and he has 23 stolen bases. But I was hoping that he'd tap into a little bit more power this year and it hasn't quite come in yet. He's still a great player. He's still an all-world defensive player. But I was thinking he had an outside shot at the number one overall pick. 
But now, I don't think so. What has been your takeaway from a guy like that this season? Obviously, sitting at, I think he's sitting around 290. I know that he's probably expecting some more production, but everything that makes him great is still shining. And I have been kind of impressed with the juice he's shown. Um, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time around him this summer. And um, he was like, man, I got more power than like people give me credit for. Like, just trust me. And I, I was agree. Like, all right, all right. It just hasn't shown up in the home run totals. Like he's got four home runs. I was expecting like seven or eight by this point. Yeah, he's got four, but that very sneakily he's that. I think that puts him second on the team um, in home runs. And he's got an outside shot to hit 10. And for a player with that kind of profile, I think even eight to 10 home runs is extremely, extremely impressive. And he's going to end up hitting. I have no doubt in my mind. I think he's going to end up hitting around 320. Um, and he's walking almost twice as much as he's striking out. Yeah. 23 bags. He's starting to, to kind of put the ball in play, not put the ball in play more. He's, he's starting to find the barrel more lately, find some grass, the defense, obviously it's at the college level. It's he's the best center fielder in the country defensively. Um, and he's got that Kenny Lofton, Juan Pierre kind of profiling more Lofton, but um, number one overall pick, I think, is out of the picture at this point, just because of Dylan Cruz, yeah. who we'll probably talk about. But um, still been impressed with Enrique Bradfield. I think he goes probably in the first 20 picks or so. Um, I've heard some good things about teams in the top 15 liking him. So um, I, I think that that he'll go pretty good in the draft still. No, that makes sense. I guess I held him to a standard that was almost impossible for him to reach. And because he couldn't reach my impossible standard that I'm holding it against him slightly. When in reality, I probably shouldn't just because I think he's such an incredible talent. Uh, so number four, this is the freak team, the team that came out of nowhere. They're sitting at 28 and four on the season, 28 wins, four losses. Freshman of the year is probably Ethan Petrie. What does he have? 18 home runs. He's leading the nation in RBIs. And when I watch South Carolina, you know, it's obvious that the talent jumps off the page. The power is enormous. He's an enormous human being. But I didn't even know he was 18. I didn't know this was a freshman when I first turned on the TV and watched South Carolina because he doesn't look like it, right? He doesn't play like it. He doesn't act like it. He seems like he's been there for a couple of years. But at the end of the day, he's 18 and you got Braylon Wimmer. And the pitching staff looks really good. This team just doesn't lose. They came out of nowhere and they just decided, you know what? We're not, we ain't losing this year. What has been the most impressive thing about South Carolina? I think what you said, Ethan Petrie has been unbelievable. Six, four true freshman hitting 440, 15 bombs, second in the country with 51 RBIs. I mean, he's, he's going to win national freshman of the year. And what's scary is they get him for another two years and we're, we're looking at a potential first overall type of guy in, in 2025. But again, they've gotten production from really everywhere. I think their, their power um, upside is super impressive. Gavin Cassis also 15 home runs, Braylon Wimmer with nine. Um, I think Will McGillis has double digits and then they're a well-rounded club. I have to admit, I was, I was a little like iffy on just how good they were after their really good start, obviously what they got off to is like in baseball, I don't care who you play winning. I think it was 20 of 21 games or something like that. Just doesn't or, happen. Yeah. It just doesn't happen no matter who you play. If they were playing like high school teams, I'd still be impressed just because baseball is that weird. Yeah. So I was really impressed. I, I wasn't like ready to call them a national title team just yet. Um, which I was obviously wrong about, which I, I now think that they might even be better than, their top five ranking or wherever they are right now, but um, they're super well-rounded. They've got a great weekend rotation with Sanders Hall and Mahoney. Um, Sanders is a way better arm than what his numbers show. And we, we saw it in a, unfortunately that Friday game kind of got, or that Thursday game got flipped on its head because of the weather, but we saw how good of a pitcher Sanders was in that outing mid nineties fastball. The slider was a plus pitch. Um, They've gotten lights out pitching from their bullpen with the two Eli's and Jones and Jerzenbeck. Um, Chris Veach has one of the better changeups I've seen this this uh, this season. And again, they're they're 
I don't even know how to say it. they they don't really have many holes and it's tough to nitpick a club like this which I I'm not going to do cuz there's nothing to pick them on. Um they're 19 and 1 at home, they're playing really well on the road. I would have I we were really robbed of a game 3 against LSU because I think that would have been an absolute dandy. But the good news is is they go on the road to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt this weekend in what's going to be another unbelievable year or another unbelievable series and of course all three games are on SEC Network Plus which I don't know that the ESPNU probably has like college lax on, but um, it, it, they have another good series this weekend. I'm really excited about them. Um, I think they do have national championship type upside. I, they're a team I would seriously consider picking right now to take it home. I think that they play with a lot of swagger. They don't think anyone can beat them in a good way. Not, they're not going to be caught off guard, but they're a very, very impressive ball club that is clearly here to stay, and they're the class of the SEC. Class of the SEC. We love to see it in it. And as we get further into this list, now that we're in the top three, it gets impossible to nitpick, and that starts with Florida, who's just a juggernaut, even though Wyatt Langford, who is projected to go within the first, what, four, three picks, because he's an unbelievable hitter. He's been absent for a while with an injury, but even without him, they are so good. Uh, like Josh Rivera, BT Ryapel, these kind of guys in their lineup just have stepped up. These veterans, right? With the absence of Langford, these guys step up. Then, like, you even have underclassmen, Cade Curland, Michael Robertson, bunch of just really good players. And I haven't even mentioned the show of college baseball, Jack Caglione. He's taken a little bit of a step back as a pitcher, but he's still racking up K's. And he's leading the league in home runs. He's kind of like college baseball Shohei Otani. And I said that on TikTok, and I got a lot of shit being like, no, he's not throwing 100 mile an hour with a 92 mile an hour sweeper like Otani. I wasn't saying he's Otani right now. I'm saying the combination of a hitter and a pitcher with that type of power with great strikeout stuff is college baseball's version of Shohei Otani. What who has impressed you the most at Florida? Like, obviously, it's Jack, but who else has really just shown through on this Florida team? Because we could be here for hours naming names, but I guess who's that one guy when you turn on the TV you're most excited to watch? And Jack Haglione, you can't answer that one because that's too easy. I was gonna, it's kind of take your pick with Florida. Like, Langford had a lower body injury for a while, he came back and he he's playing like he hasn't missed a stride. He went two for four. I think it was on Friday with a Jack against Tennessee. Um, he Yeah. Waits. And then against Auburn, he had a really good series as well. So it's like Langford came back and hasn't missed a beat, but I think it, what Langford's doing, I don't know if it was, it was almost expected Caglione. It's, it's a cop-out answer to say you're most impressed with him. But when I turn on the, the TV or streaming or whatever. And I watch Florida play the guy that I'm most impressed with. And I think is a real key reason as to why they are where they are right now is Josh Rivera. And he's an experienced guy. He's their starting shortstop has been for a couple seasons now had sort of an up and down career to this point. Um, not a ton of production, um was still figuring some things out at the plate this year he's playing great defense over at shortstop at the plate what he's been doing i i can't overstate how unbelievable it is he's hitting 398 13 home runs 46 rbis is second on the team only to caglione and he's walking more than he's striking out um and it's a really violent operation at the plate but it's under control at the same time. He's got lightning bat speed. Um, he gets the ball in the air often. The quality of contact is really good. And he's played himself from, gosh, going into this season. I don't know where he was on draft boards. Probably like maybe like late day two, early day three. Maybe that was even a little generous. But he's played himself into a, a surefire top four round guy. And I... And if he keeps producing an SEC play, 
we've seen what happens to guys draft stocks with a good SEC tournament or regional. I mean, he could go even higher than that. So I think I'm most impressed with Josh Rivera because of because of the turnaround that he's had and and the consistency at which he's produced. Like this isn't three good series. He's done it all year. So I, I'm I'm most impressed with him. And number two, we got the Demon Deacons, Wake Forest, commonly referred to as Rake Forest. I mean, the Bash brothers are here. Uh, college baseball's version of Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco with Nick Kurtz and Brock Wilkin. But I am the biggest Rhett Louder guy. I've said this a million times, but every single time I turn on the TV to watch him, he just gives me these Kevin Gosman vibes. He's got a change up from hell. The thing darts out of the zone. He can throw the ball wherever he wants. And now he's sitting with a 1.40 ERA. If I'm a team, I'm drafting him within the top 10 picks. I think he's going to be one of those pitchers who's ready early and then just rises up the ranks and is one of those next great college pitchers that you see pretty soon. I'd love to get your opinion on that too. But then you have a guy like Sean Sullivan who's really stepped up in that Saturday role. They're just a phenomenal team that they can beat you in shootouts, right? If one of their pitchers has a tough day, they can beat you 12-10. But at the same time, if Sullivan and Louder got it, they can beat you in low-scoring games too. They're just so good. And if LSU didn't have every good player in the country, they would be running away with it. I think they're just an incredible watch. Yeah, I. so we talked about them going into this season, and I'll pat ourselves on the back. We were high on Wake, which was a really hot take given like the makeup of their roster and how good they were. But we were kind of... I wouldn't say expecting this because they're 28 and four and, and and rolling through teams. But if you had told us that, I don't think we would have been totally surprised, but, but louder, Pete, like you said, at, if we look at the odds, right. If we looked at the odds plus 1900 on them right now, they're plus seven fifty to win the college world series. Like they have dropped a considerable, considerable amount. They were around eight or nine. If I'm, if I'm correct in the preseason rankings, now they're the definitive number two. So it wasn't a hot take to say that they'd be really good. But I think if if you and I were saying like, oh, they'd definitely be the number two team at this point in the season, I think that would be a relatively hot take. And now there's no debate. No, none at all. And and if you look at their rotation, I he was my pick to win ACC Pitcher of the Year for the second year in a row. Louder was. Um, he's on his way to being a top 20 overall draft pick. Like you said, changeup's a plus plus pitch, slider's a plus pitch, um, great mound presence. He's a pro starter. Um, and he'd be well on his way to winning the award if he wasn't also accompanied by Sean Sullivan and Josh Hartle in the rotation. Hartle's got a 190 ERA, 69 Ks to seven walks and 46 innings. That's gonna and play. And then Sullivan, I think, has taken the country by storm with what he's done. He's got a 1-5 ERA and then 71 Ks to nine walks in 40 innings. All three of their up. guys have ERAs under two, Pete. They're insane. And they're all, and they're all on the Golden Spikes uh, midseason watch list, which super impressive honor. And I think Sullivan's probably going to win ACC Pitcher of the Year, if I had to guess, um, assuming he keeps this up. But then, sure, you talk about their rotation and how good they are. They're also getting production out of the bullpen with guys like Seth Keener having an ERA under one over 30 innings. Michael Massey throws 98. He's kind of, to me, he seems like that next guy where next year after Louder and Sullivan, who's sophomore eligible, was it was kind of iffy if Sullivan was going to get drafted in a good enough spot where he'd want to sign this year. I think he's proven that he's going to go in the probably the top three or four rounds at the latest this year. So I think Michael Massey is a guy to me that profiles out of the bullpen to make that jump into a weekend starter role and be the next guy in 2024 where people are like, where did Michael Massey come from? This kid's throwing 97, 99 with a hammer breaking ball. And it's like, that's just what Wake does. They've got the best pitching development of anyone in the country with the pitching lab. Coach Mascara does an outstanding job. And their pitching is, is great. It's I'd put their staff up against anyone in the country on any day. But then you go to their lineup and it's like they give pitchers no break. It's Tommy Hawk at the top who's got incredible bat-to-ball skills, plays the game incredibly hard. He's another sophomore-eligible guy who should go in the top five rounds, top five or six rounds. 
love him. Such a he's grinder. so fun to watch. And then it's you got the Bash brothers with Nick Kurtz and Brock Wilkin and Kurtz is six five. He's got great back control. His long levers allow him to really barrel any pitch, no matter where it's thrown. It makes him impossible to pitch to. And it's like, okay, maybe we'll pitch around Kurtz. And you can't pitch around Kurtz because he'll be met with Wilkin. And Wilkin is Wilkin. He's got okay. 70 raw power. He's absolutely pulverizing the baseball. He's made some tweaks to his setup and swing that I really like this year. And then in talking to Coach Walter before the season, he had mentioned someone like Pierce Bennett as someone to watch as as who could really surprise some people. And he was spot on. Bennett's hitting 345, 12 doubles, four home runs. And it's just like, it's just little things. Like Pierce Bennett was a huge reason why they swept yesterday at in their abbreviated series with NC State. They had seven RBIs as a team. He had four of them. He went four for five, a couple doubles. It's just guys like that. And and you need guys like that to win national championships. You're not going to do it on the backs of very seldom are you going to do it on the backs of just two or three guys. You need a you need a complete team effort. And people like Pierce Bennett, Justin Johnson, Adam Cessary, they give Wake those those key supplemental pieces to to, to go all the way. And, and I'm a, and I'm a real believer in them to do that. And again, if, if we were picking the national champion again, I'd, I'd still stick with wake and I'd be even more convicted on them. I'd still stick with wake, but they got that team in the way. And number one, Louisiana state university, LSU, the tigers. Um, they have the two best players in the country. Dylan Cruz is living up to his name, the Cruz missile, and maybe even more so. He's leading the nation in batting average, and it ain't close. The dude is hitting 525, which is 40 points more than second place. Paul Skeens has allowed six earned in 47 innings, and that's even, I think, I don't know if those stats included his start against South Carolina, where they actually got to him, which I found fascinating. That game was incredible in itself, that whole series. I mean, you talked about that we were, you know, robbed of a Sunday game, but... That whole series, even Friday and Saturday, were incredible. Paul Skeens is that dude. He's going to be, I think, the first pitcher taken. Just, he's got, he's just got something different. And I thought it was incredible, right? He's coming from a service academy to LSU. And he steps up and he didn't miss a beat. This guy is incredible. And he was a two-way guy at Air Force. Like, he was hitting bombs and now he doesn't have to because LSU has this incredible lineup. And LSU, they got Tommy Tanks. The transfer from NC State who led the nation in home runs as a freshman. And he's not even being mentioned with Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, even though he should be because he's having a great year. But it's crazy that the guy who led the nation in home runs last year and is still having a great year isn't Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. This team is just what they're doing right now is what everyone thought they would be doing, which is really hard in college baseball, right? Like a team like that, obviously they're kids. You get these expectations. You get the coach from Minnesota, the pitching coach who leaves the Minnesota twins in order to be your pitching coach. You have all the transfers. You have all the NIL money in the world. And yet you're still living up to expectations. That's what's been the coolest thing for me about LSU. What's been the best thing to you about the Louisiana State University Tigers? That's the thing is I think you bring up a great point with the expectations part of it because coming into the year, their expectations from everyone, I think in a word was, was honestly perfection. They were talking about how perfectly the roster was built. They've got great coaching. They've got a great coaching staff. There's never really been a team like this in recent memory. Any slip up would be really held against them and they haven't tripped once they've lost. Sundays have been a little bit of a bugaboo for him, but even with a roster like this, the SEC is just such good baseball where, I mean, you're not going to go fit. No one's going to go 56 and 0. Um, but everywhere you look, it's, you've got the number one hitter in the draft, Dylan Cruz, who's putting up, he's, he's like playing road to the show on beginner mode. He's hitting yeah. five, 10, nine jacks, walking twice as much as he's striking out. Um, Paul Skeens, number one pitcher in the draft. Up to 102, sliders a wipeout pitch, changeups a plus pitch. His entire arsenal is 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 I I think it's three plus plus pitches, which nobody else has that in the country. 
91 Ks in 47 innings. He's going to win pitcher of the year. Cruz will win player of the year. And actually, I don't, I don't know about Cruz. Maybe, eh, yeah, Cruz will probably win player of the year. Just it, considering Who the else fact would he's win probably going to hit around like 450 with 15 plus home runs. But then who, it's who also. Else, who else would win it if it wasn't Cruz? That's a good question. Like, I think you got to talk about Ethan Petrie. Yeah. Um, just in that same breath, it's he's hitting 442 himself with 15 <laughs> home runs. It's kind of like <laughs> crazy. Maybe the power makes up for what he lacks, and it's crazy talking about what he lacks in average. He's hitting 445, but <laughs> yeah. like comparing him to Dylan Cruz, you're going to have those outlandish conversations. But again, it's like Tommy White is he leads the team with 11 home runs. He's second nationally with 51 RBIs. Jared Jones, of course, they're true freshmen are playing well too because Jared Jones has just stupid power. He's got Great. nine home runs. He's also hitting 350. And then they're kind of Josh Rivera in my mind is Gavin Dugas. He's a fifth year player. Production was wasn't what it was this year at all. Um, so far in his college career, he's hitting 344, 10 home runs. He has a knack for big moments and for hit, for getting a big hit. He had a big home run against Tennessee in their series. He had that game tying and probably series saving Grand Slam this past weekend against South Carolina, and he's been he's been the catalyst for them. And then on the mound, supplementing Skeens, Ty Floyd's been great. Um, Christian Little has been strong. They're still kind of trying to figure out their Sunday spot a little bit. Thatcher Hurd has great ability. He's just been a little inconsistent at times. The injury bug has hit their staff a little bit. But they're no one's going to want to play them. They play with a chip on their shoulder. They they don't walk into any series expecting to win. They actually go out and prove it day in and day out. They play with a lot of swag, a productive amount of swag. And then the Johnsons, Coach Wes Johnson and Coach Jay Johnson, they've they've got them as prepared as anyone in the in college baseball. So I there are there is a lot of talent just talking this through with you just in the first, just in the top five teams in, in the country. And it's really unbelievable because there are so many other good teams in the country and, and Omaha sleepers and in teams with Omaha upside. So I'm looking forward to the, to the home stretch here and seeing how regionals shake out and, and all of that, because it's sure to be a really fun rest of the season. So for anyone, you know, this is the just baseball show. We talk all forms of baseball, on this podcast, but you know, we mostly talk about major league baseball. Of course it's April 10th as we're sitting here recording. So the baseball season is, is underway, but I've been having so much fun watching college baseball this year. Um, and you said that regionals are coming up, all that kind of stuff. Let's say someone hasn't tuned into college baseball yet. What should they be on the watch for? Like what's the schedule moving forward regionals, you know, getting to Omaha, just lay out kind of the schedule before we say goodbye. Yeah, so we kind of after Easter is when I kind of start looking at things like RP like teams resumes basically. It's when it starts to matter. It's like early on you're not going to be like, "Oh, you know, they're they're eight and one, they've got an RPI of 6, they're going to host." Um like now is when it actually starts to matter. So each series, each game becomes very important for teams, especially those on the bubble. And late May is the conference tournaments for the Power Five conferences, ACC, SEC, Big 12, Pac-12 now, which is great that they've got a conference tournament. And then regionals start right on June 1, and it's a sprint to the finish from there. It's regionals for, I think, five days, depending on how each pod shakes out. And then it's a couple of days off before jumping into Super Regionals. And Super Regionals are a best of three format between two teams. It's a winner from this regional, winner from that regional, they'll meet here and they'll play a best of three series and the winner goes to Omaha. And by June, I by the second week of June, we'll have the eight for Omaha. And then the College World Series is nine days in the middle of June. I think it's the 15th to the 25th this year, um, which would be 10 days. So it, that that's kind of, that would bring us to the end, which it's crazy to talk about the season ending and, in two and a half months, but there's a ton of action still to be had a lot of upsets. I'm sure a lot of storylines that we wouldn't even think of happening to this point. So that's, what's great about baseball and especially college baseball. So there's sure to be a lot of fun left to be had. 
Well, thanks so much, Pete, for coming on. It's always a blast to talk college baseball with you, and I'm sure we're going to be bringing you back on come the end of May, come June, get our people ready for the College Baseball World Series. That'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Make sure to get your Just Baseball merch. I'm rocking my Just Baseball tee. The link is in the episode description. That is the best way to support this podcast. But if you don't want to spend a dime, we totally understand. Best way, again, to support is to rate this podcast five stars and leave a written review of anything else you'd like us to talk about, as well as click that subscribe button, hit the like button, and comment who your top five teams in college baseball are now on our YouTube page. You can find Pete's uh, Twitter in our episode description. That is at Peter G Flaherty on Twitter. He's my favorite college baseball follow, and I'm not even being biased. Seriously, breaks down so much good stuff. Even if you're never watching inning of college baseball and just follow Pete's Twitter, it's the best way to stay up to date on all college baseball stuff. Pete, genuinely, Thank you for coming on and we'll definitely be talking to you soon, my friend. Oh man, thank you for having me on. It's always a it's always a blast to chop it up with you. And and like we always say, I could go we could talk about this for three hours. So I'm excited to 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 come back on for for the regionals and, and Omaha. And with that, thank you everybody. <laughs>